0: Hi, everybody. Welcome to episode number 158 of the Apple Lug Podcast. I am your host, Simon Head. Today's podcast is brought to you in part by Bose All Natural Brewing. Check out their lug tread. It's crisp, balanced, and refreshing. Lug tread is a lagered ale. It's a term they coined. It's fermented like an ale and cold-aged like a lager. It's been Bose's flagship brand since they opened in 2006. As of 2017, it's now available in 355-milliliter cans for the first time. And it's one more... Then 20 awards. Check out their Kismar Nordic Pale Ale, the Tom Green Cherry Milk Stout, Wag the Wolf, which is an IPA, and check out their full-time IPA. It's their newest full-time brand. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's delicious. It tastes like, it tastes, they, they, like I've said this before, but they make very, very good IPAs. It's a medium-bodied ale, finishes dry with a lingering hop and fruit notes. And if you're a beer nerd, that means it's really good. So go to Bose.ca and check out all the great products they have. And if it's sold any at all the beer stores any nationwide in Canada. So if you're from the United States, then sorry, can't get it. Hey, Amazon shoppers, do you like to shop on Amazon? Why don't you help the show up by going to applelogca slash Amazon or applelogca slash US Amazon. You will be redirected right to Amazon. And from there, you'll be able to shop on Amazon, support the show, If you want to do the old-fashioned way, go to applog.ca and click on the banners located on the right side. Locate your country and bookmark it. That's important. You got to bookmark it. If you don't bookmark it, then you're not helping out. And every time you shop in Amazon, you will be supporting the show. Cost you no extra money. If you want to support the show on a monthly basis, go to patreon.com slash You can pledge as much or as little as you want on a monthly basis to help with hosting and gas fees. Cancel at any time. Why don't you head over to apolog.ca slash shop to buy a t-shirt and don't forget to rate, subscribe, and review the show on iTunes and give it five stars, please. It really does help the show out in the ranking where it ranks because we all need to be ranked. Check out the, like the show on Facebook by going to facebook.com slash and follow me on Twitter at SimonHead666. Today on the show, I have Natalie Freya. Natalie is a storyteller. She's also um, a stage manager. She's biked across Canada. She's done all sorts of kind of neat, weird, kind of cool stuff. And um, I thought I'd have her on the show and it'd be kind of fun to talk to someone who has biked across Canada. And I actually didn't. I don't think really got into the fact that I would like to bike across Canada one day, but she's already done it, so I don't know. Well, you know why bother? Yeah, here she is, Natalie Freya. I hope I'm saying the last name right on the Apple Podcast. me a little bit about yourself.
1: Sure. Uh, well, um, I'm currently working on a PhD at U of T and I'm a storyteller. So I tour the fringe circuit every summer uh, with a storytelling show of some sort.
0: What sort of uh, areas do you write in?
1: Um, lately, I've been writing a lot about adventure. Um, so the last show I toured was about biking across Canada. And um, it was about the various different encounters that you have when you're a woman traveling by yourself and you have to be on a bicycle and it's unconventional and And people react to you by going like you're doing what with your life why would you do that Mm -hmm. um so it was a story about about that i went from halifax to vancouver and i had about 11 different stories that i shared so one for uh each of the major places i went through Mm -hmm. and um it was everything from like meeting people who just invited me to stay in their house overnight because they they liked fellow travelers to um people i i shared a campground with to Strange uh, roadside attractions that I decided to camp over at, like um, Old George's Wild West Museum in Whitewood, Saskatchewan. <laughs> very strange places.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, what would compel you, or were you on sort of a walkabout? Because that's sort of what happens. So like you're, you're, you're under the age of thirty.
2: No. 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 What Thirty-two.
0: Com- Thirty-two. Okay. Yeah. So you're close, but you would like people disappear and go off the face of the earth and travel mm-hmm. to to experience life. Is that sort of why you, you kind of you did the ride?
1: Yeah, well, part of it was the year before I had biked down from uh, San Francisco, or back down to San Francisco, I was supposed to go with two friends and they lasted about a week uh, before they decided <laughs> it just wasn't for them. And uh, I still had the rest of the summer and I wanted to go down to San Francisco. And I have a friend who was like, listen, if you just put it out into the universe, I'm sure that you will find other people to bike with. And I was like, that's stupid. No one is just gonna show up here in the middle of this parking lot in nelson bc and want to bike with me to san francisco that makes no sense seconds later a car pulls up and this guy leans out the window and he's like where are you biking and i said i I guess san francisco and he was like cool i'm going to argentina do you want like company and uh in the car were three bike three cyclists (laughs) at that exact moment so the next year i um I was thinking about, like, I want to go and do something. I want to go have another adventure. I was a little tired of staying in Toronto for... I'd been there for seven months, and I was like, not for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I decided to, to bike across Canada.
0: Well, where are you originally from?
1: Sarnia, Ontario. Sarnia. Or around there, anyway. Yeah.
0: Okay. And so you spent your, your whole life there. in Sarnia, is it's, it's not Toronto, and it's no. not even Windsor. But um, the fact that you would... You know, this is things that new, people from New Zealand do. I mean, a lot of New yeah. Zealanders are either backpacking or doing something crazy and wacky. Yeah. And, and uh, like, uh, to the adventure. The adventure is the important word there because, you know, you put yourself out there to actually go have an adventure. And a lot of people don't do stuff like that. Like, life's yeah. too short to actually capture this time, like, to do that. I mean, did, did you have you allotted a certain amount of time of your life to actually be, you know, a free spirit and run around and you know
1: all of it all of it um, yeah I mean like w- what I do for work um, I am working on a PhD but there's so few jobs in academia right now that, that at this point I was joking with some people over the summer uh, it is actually more of a reliable career for, career choice for me to be on the fringe festival circuit for the rest of my life yeah. because at least I know that through a lottery system I actually have a chance to get a job yeah. so um, just so if, when you're a writer or a storyteller you kind of have to be available to go wherever a show might take you mm-hmm. um that's kind of what i do and I, I can't see myself staying put for any long amount of time mm-hmm.
2: what
0: are you getting your phd in
1: uh in theater uh, theater and environmental studies um i look at how different performance types using animals have taught us how to relate to those animals so how like uh a circus will tell us this is the only place you can experience a wild or an elephant and we get certain ideas about what that elephant is, like through personality, through its um, like its natural behaviors, uh, its anything like this. And then we take those perspectives and we relate them to animals in the wild and what impact that has on conservation.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I was reading or listening a little bit uh, to a show that talked about the humanization of animals and how we... <laughs> we project what like a bear is just like stealing picnic baskets and yeah. but a bear will, will kill you. It will eat you. And, and it's not afraid to eat you and it yeah, will they're just, they're fight animals. you. Exactly. So the problem is with, with things like circuses and things like that is that you actually project onto that animal. Yeah. Like it's, Oh, it's a happy little bear with a hat on and it's walking yeah. around. And, and that's, that's, uh, that's so sort of like set up close to what kind of like you do.
1: Exactly, yeah. And we, uh, we have a, a sense of, um, giving them, like putting a narrative on top of their performances, so like in SeaWorld or something, we will say, uh, you know, they'll refer to the orca as a friend or as a visitor. And even just that, that like nomenclature of like, you're a visitor, makes it seem as if the animal chose to come there themselves, Mm -hmm. and chose to put themselves in this situation, which makes the audience relate to them in a different way and relate to the business in a different way, even though what is actually going on with the animal is not very good at all. Um, Yeah. yeah, along those lines.
0: Yeah, that's, I mean, obviously SeaWorld, Marineland, all those places are yeah. pretty evil places. And even the guy who owns Marineland, I don't know if he's still alive, but he's a monster. I mean, like, yeah, evil, evil monster. There's YouTube clips of him trying to punch out, like, activists and stuff. Like,
2: yeah. You know, so,
0: so you're, are you, uh, so obviously you're against, uh, you know, zoos and Oh, yeah, you know, yeah, absolutely. There's a, few,
2: there's
1: a few zoos I've been to where um their mandate is solely on conservation, um. Animal sanctuaries. Uh, like One of the fav- my favorite places I've ever been is the Belize City Zoo, uh, just outside of Belize City. And it was owned by, or started by a woman named Sharon Matola, who back in the 1980s was um, working as an animal trainer for a documentary on Belize wildlife. And at the very end of the documentary, the, um, the director turns to her and was like, okay, we'll take care of the animals. And she was like, well, what do you mean take care of them? Like, return them to the wild? And he was like, no, they're domesticated now. I mean, kill them. And she, refused to do it. So she took the um, the film lot and was like, why don't I build a, a sanctuary for them? And it's a very, very small zoo. It's um like there's not very much space there at all. But her entire mandate is she will only take in animals who have been either born in captivity and cannot come back to the wild, or they've been injured too much to be able to support themselves in the wild, or anything along these lines. And uh, she actually refused, um, what's the name of the group? Um, the American Zoological Association wanted her to become a member and they said if you want to do this you have to become part of uh, this inner zoo breeding program and she said why would i ever want to breed animals in a zoo like the the purpose of a zoo should be to like only house animals who cannot go into the wild so i don't want to create more captive animals and because of that they said that she was being biologically irresponsible and she um i think she
2: told them to go fuck themselves yeah good (laughs) yeah
0: (laughs) that's an yeah it's it's very uh yeah it's a deep dark business that whole keeping animals i mean you know humans wouldn't you, you kind of have to sort. it's funny that you'd say that we put a human perspective on animals but would you want to be kept in a cage you know because no. of like who you are what you do no and it,
1: we like we have had human zoos in the past like the bronx Zoo was pretty infamous for having oh gosh what there's so many different cultures that that were housed in the uh in the bronx, bronx city zoo and in the early 1900s um activists looked at that and they were like you cannot put a person in a zoo that's completely insane mm-hmm. um
0: well native people right they were trying to yeah. put yeah native americans yeah
1: and uh i don't remember which cultures. so there's a couple cultures from africa the Laplands, laplanders were put in there um i have a whole list somewhere on my computer but i don't know where it is at the moment yeah i was at one point going to write about human zoos as well and then i realized i would be writing papers for
2: tw- 20 years
0: <laughs> yeah so do you um so do you make a point of going to places like that and, and protesting and, or is this a um, thing that you would think you could conquer from, uh, writing pages and making people more aware? Like what's your stance on all that?
1: My stance on that? I really support activists. Um, I have a, a good friend of mine works for the sea shepherd mm-hmm. and I think it's amazing when activists go out there and do that. And I worked for Greenpeace for a couple of years as a canvasser. So I'm totally on board with direct action and, uh, and protesting um, for me I think that what I can do best is um, either writing academic papers about it or uh, writing articles about it that's that's kind of the, what I do best
0: yeah yeah well that's that's everybody needs to do their part you know yeah. number one is just boycott the place yeah uh, exactly yeah, I
1: actually didn't visit um, I tried to visit SeaWorld I emailed them and I I was like I wanna I'm writing a paper on this am I able to come in and and like see you know behind the scenes how you work and they refused to, after, they only answered um, when I was four or five emails in. And when they finally answered, they were like, you're welcome to come as a guest. And I was like, cool. Um, YouTube videos are where it's at. Because uh, people have documented it so well on YouTube.
0: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's a, it's a, yeah, it's a frightening prospect to say, you know, what if SeaWorld, you know, I, the other thing is being able to communicate with animals. We don't, we can't do that, you know, so you can't really get the full you know, yeah. story. You can only read them as a human, what their language is, you know, and from there you're only really kind of, you know, thinking, I think that's what the animal is
2: saying. Oh. And
1: there's a lot of misinterpretation. One of the case studies I came across was from, I can't remember which world location, but there was, um, they've had a lot of trouble, like, breeding orcas in uh in aquariums because there's just not enough space for these, for these orcas to actually, like, grow up naturally because swimming in a circle constantly is not a, it's a learned behavior, so... If you have these um these animals who don't know how to swim into a circle you have them like swimming directly into the sides of the uh of the tank which is not good for them obviously and there was one uh, case study i came across um which showed a like a mother orca constantly hitting her her calf in the stomach and the zoo or the, the the keepers determined that was like an act of violence and she was actually trying to hurt the the baby so they took the calf away they separated them the mother went crazy, um, trying to get into the, the tank where the, the baby was being kept. And the baby died a couple of days later. And when they did an ecropsy, they found that there was a giant gas bubble in the baby's stomach that uh, they theorized, because orcas use echolocation or versions of that, or use sonar, that she could actually see what was going on in there and was trying to basically burp the calf. No. But they read it as violent, because that's, that's what it would be if we were doing that as people. So there's so much danger in looking at like what our own uh, like human communications are and what we mean by things. And assuming that everyone means the exact same thing.
0: Yeah. 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 What's your, uh, what's your stance on like um, eat what you kill kind of stuff. Like what's your.
1: My stance on what?
0: Eat, eat what you kill. Like if the hunter goes and hunts an animal and, you know, uses that animal for food and for.
1: I feel like I can't really have a stance on that because I know that it's um, part so many, part of so many indigenous cultures and part of, Substance, and I just um, I feel like I can't have an opinion on that.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, also, I have never hunted in my entire life, and I would not have the skill or the resources to figure out how to do that. So mm-hmm. I think if I respond to anything like that, it's out of ing- ignorance, and I wouldn't. No,
0: have that's, a good no, size. it's it's fine. I mean, that's it's good because you know there's a lot of people out there who feel that they have this right to do that, and yeah, there's um, yeah. there is also the the idea that is conservation because if you you know you call the older animal, the younger animals mm-hmm. can cons- but there's human intervention you know so yeah. we're only really theorizing all these things you know like there's there is a little proof but it's not real data it's not yeah. solid data and everything is always like well this is our data we came up with you know it's not subjective
2: yeah
0: it's or objective it's super subjective and it's biased because that's the stance they want right, to take yeah. right so
1: i am definitely against like safari and trophy hunting
0: yeah absolutely
1: like the, yeah those things not so much
0: yeah yeah well that whole Cecil the lion thing was a yeah
2: yeah was pretty absolutely.
0: crazy pretty crazy yeah. but yeah i mean there's um i mean there's some spots like in northern india where they have to kill the tigers because they're eating people they're attacking mm-hmm. them, you know what i mean like so yeah. yeah it's it's a it's a tricky situation conservation over yeah, trophy hunting and all that stuff is always you know and you know it's a i you know i come from the stance of like well i don't know much about it either but i just like other people's to hear other people's yeah. opinions because you know it's that's how we become you know
1: more educated
0: absolutely yeah <laughs> yeah yeah so uh so besides riding a bike what, what else have you uh you sounds like you've done some pretty neat stuff oh,
1: what else have i done um I was in uh, Central America a couple of years ago with a bunch of people and I was planning, I was there um, on a research travel grant from U of T to study um, eco-education programs because Central America is really taking um, eco-education and and kind of doing it right in a lot of ways, especially places like Belize um, where the focus is on like conservation and showing people how conservation projects can actually actually work. Um, So I was looking at a few different places between uh, Belize and Northern Costa Rica, um, and I was planning on biking between each one of the places, and ended up instead um, backpacking the entire way with a bunch of random travelers I met who were also interested in the exact same issues. Wow! So a lot of backpacking. Um, <laughs> then I, I hiked a lot of around Iceland this summer, or this past summer.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so I just happened to be there after a fringe festival and was like, well. I want to see volcanoes and the easiest way to do this is to grab a backpack and just go on a hike. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going back there actually in January. Um, I'm developing a circus show about uh, women who in the 1960s wanted to become astronauts. So they petitioned NASA to be considered for the astronaut pool and NASA said no primarily because they were women. Uh, and I found out about this when I was in Iceland and um, started to develop a circus show about it. And there's a theater company in Iceland that invited us to come and create the show there. Mm-hmm. So Going there in January, yeah. Time for no sunlight.
0: Oh um, man, yeah, yeah. So in theater and things, um, what side of the theater are you more interested—the acting or the technical or the production side? Oh,
1: uh, technical production side. I'm mostly a writer, but if I'm doing anything else in theater, I'm usually backstage.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. I had the uh, I had the guy who created Q Lab on my show in three. Oh, weeks.
1: cool. Yeah, I saw that on your website. Actually. Yeah, a
0: couple of weeks uh, ago. He's a Q-Lab, fascinating guy.
1: Yeah, Q Lab is the only reason I have a Yeah. <laughs> Like, if, if that wasn't a, a Mac-only thing, I would save so much money.
0: Absolutely. Well, yeah, it's, it's yeah, Mac's a fun, funky thing. Because, yeah. listen, we had this PC in our theater trying to run video, and it was mm-hmm. glitching, it was crashing. It's like, yeah, I'd rather right. have my QLab running. Plus, it can, it can run in, um, I run two at the same time anyways, because yeah. of redundancy. Um
2: theater
1: you
0: work at? Richmond Hill Center for the oh, Performing Arts. Okay. Yeah. I've been there a for circus
1: show there. I was stage managing a circus show there last November or December, I can't remember, with um Zero Gravity. I was there. Uh,
0: yeah. Yeah. What were you do really? I don't remember. I, mean, yeah, I
1: was, you. I was in the booth calling um calling lights and down. Um, I was
0: doing this no I ended up being the I was TDing it and I ended up being the spot guy. On one, because okay. Joey was in the booth, he's not there anymore. But he was mm-hmm. trying to operate a moving light because we only had one spot operator. That's and I, right. Yeah. And I ended up sitting and trying to match what he was doing. and He was trying to match <laughs> what I was doing. Oh my god, we've met before. That's hilarious. <laughs> we do it
1: again. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I like that theater. Uh, it was a really nice. I hope we do that show again. That was a, a fun, a fun crew to come up with.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, so d- would you do you travel around with other theater groups, or is that your?
1: I try to. Um, mm. Whenever anyone, if someone needs a stage manager and wants to travel, then I will definitely put my name in. Um, Last year, my friend Rebecca, uh, my friend Rebecca has a show called um, Adventures of a Redheaded Coffee Shop Girl. And uh, she was um, in negotiations with a theater in Limerick, Ireland to come over and do a show. And uh, finally, in early January, they were like, well, here's the show date. Um, Do you want to come to Ireland for the weekend? We were both like... We can find a reasonably priced ticket. Let's do this. (laughs) And we found a super cheap ticket and went to Ireland for a weekend. So just to do one show. uh, It was so worth it.
0: We could have used you last night because we were doing this event for uh, The Secret Path, the Gord Downey Um, his, And uh, they were supposed to bring a stage manager and they didn't. So uh, the four of us were trying to make a plan. Yep. About what their show was, because we had just basically was thrown the, the rollout was thrown in front of us and we're like, uh, OK, uh, who's calling this? they <laughs> are like, well, you guys got this right. And I was like, oh, uh, and then they messed up the plan. So when you hit go on something and it's not what they want, they're looking at you like you're a boob. And it's like, well, this is what you told it. me to do. Yeah. You screwed the thing up. Yeah. Yeah. That's so funny. Yeah, we, we really need stage management. Do you, uh, do you check out production resources and stuff like that? Because there's always call sure. outs for... Oh,
1: yeah, the Facebook group. And yeah. Yeah, always on there. That's um, it. Every so often, there's a, a crew call that comes up at Crow's Theater. And because I work so many different freelance jobs, sometimes I'll call I'll come up and I'll be like, I can do all but seven hours of that. Uh, mm-hmm. So I'm trying to find jobs that I, yeah, that I can actually do. Um, also, trying to like work more for Zero Gravity and some circus companies in the city. because That's kind of my favorite. Yeah, yeah. But whenever a call comes up that I'm available for, I'm right on top of that.
0: What's your primary focus? Is it sound, lights, or
1: um, mostly stage management and organizing? Um, I do. When it's Q Lab, I do sound pretty well. Yeah. Um, lighting, I can hang. I can focus. Um, I'm not much of a lighting designer because I've never really had the opportunity to, to try that. But like hanging, focusing lights, no problem.
0: Yeah, yeah. So more Light- like
1: a general. General
0: worker. Yeah, lighting lighting design is always like I don't know anything about it, but I know when good people come through. You yeah. know what I mean? Like you really do understand what that art is when it's done yeah. right. Um, you know, it's a very important role as it's more important now that I'm, you know, a little older. I used to be just sound guy, just your sound. Yeah. But now it's like, no, I like good lights. Yeah. Know? It makes sense.
1: You know it makes a huge difference to a show. Um over the summer on the French Festival, we have some venues that are like bare bones no lights no sound um you know kind of your your lights your lighting design is lights on lights off when you go into a theater where you have so much more capability it makes a huge difference to like the atmosphere of the show the way the audience reacts yeah it was um yeah pretty night and day sometimes
0: yeah the tricky thing too is going through with sort of like a a very small group is trying to get your focus out outside of the house plot is yeah you know in a lot of houses that are sort of designed properly are kind of made for anybody to come through any specifically road houses are, are mm-hmm. specifically made there's been re- i don't think i've done a rehang in 15 years you know where oh, it's really? like you know yeah yeah maybe even 10 or 15 years you know guy used to work at york university and we do like the really? so so you think you could dance uh, yeah that and we would completely take every light and then mm-hmm. put all new lights up for them you know and pretty rare you know what i mean but
2: when were
1: you at york university
0: 2006 through 2015
1: were you in the theater department or just uh working at the theaters
0: i was staff in the recital hall as well as the okay. F- fft
1: i was a theater student there until 2008
0: that's so crazy yeah. we've met twice so you would have worked with jeff Farrell. Uh
1: no alec? I, um, alec I think i stopped doing uh accepted the production side of it in the end of 2006 so i would have been working with uh alistair craig and
2: yeah
0: i know Al- craig alistair yeah. and uh uh my um peter mckinnon he just retired yeah, yeah. he just i saw
1: that yeah. yeah he had a huge retirement party
0: yeah that doesn't happen much at york They people don't retire much no. there
1: <laughs> no uh, no they do not yeah two people who so i'm like you should probably retire already yeah, the,
0: that's yeah. so funny. Okay, so yeah, Alistair I've known for a few years now because of because of York, but he right. ended up going back down to Mervish because I think he was with Mervish before and then went yeah. down to work for Mervish.
1: York also took out their um their sessional staff. They're they're like their staff that that taught the hands on courses.
0: Yeah. Oh uh, yeah, that's yeah. everything is falling apart. <laughs> yeah i i got uh i was laid off which is fine because that place is driving me crazy but uh what they're doing in the music department is is appalling there's a lot of like they're just not if you have uh five students and your space is a certain size they'll just cut your course so they'll cancel the course right so if you're like a music for non-majors kind of student you're screwed, mm-hmm. you know, because a lot of people have to take an art class, right? So, yeah. like, some sort of arts to fill out their curriculum. And what they're doing is we have like, there's a guy, Matt Brubeck, who's Dave Brubeck's son, and he teaches cello for non cello. You know, right, yeah. And people are like, want to take a course because he's like royalty, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And if it's under a certain amount of people, courses, no course, they cancel. The I
2: course. did
1: try to sign up for a violin for non majors course once, and it didn't have enough people to run. Yeah. Uh, that was. 2004
0: or something. Yeah. So they always had an issue in music department because they are the largest department of the arts to, of faculty mm-hmm. of fine arts, which I think is called Ampter or something. They rebranded it or something stupid. Yeah. Um, they're really upset because they're losing. They bring in something like 52% or something over what the full amount of income is through the music department. And they've been a department longer. So they feel like, ah, oh, we're getting getting yeah. shafted. And that's a problem with universities now is that they're, I mean, you can you could probably speak to this better than anybody, but I feel like kind of turning them into like um, like trade schools, really. I mean, they're not a like university. Used to be a place you go, and they teach you how to learn.
2: Yeah.
0: And I mean, are you in that position, or is, is it just York well, that screwed everybody?
1: I would actually say, like, uh, how do I how do I say this and be tactical about it? Um,
0: <laughs> it's okay. Say whatever you want.
1: <laughs> so I'm a, I'm a teaching assistant in a in a program uh, at U of T. Um, I've been a teaching assistant in this one course for about four years. And I have noticed a remarkable decline in the quality of critical and practical thinking on part of the students.
2: Um,
1: I don't think we're teaching them how to think or express their thinking. Um, I have a lot of thoughts on why and how, but I've... Yeah, it's like, it's to the point that when I'm marking papers, the TAs and I are all kind of on messenger with each other saying like, what's the lowest grade you've given? Has anyone given out an A? Has anyone given out a B? Are we all in the D range? Is this what's happening? Yeah, I don't really know why it's happening, but i hmm. it's, like, it's a huge decline from the very first year I taught that course. And I've been a teaching assistant for seven, eight, for seven years.
0: Yeah. I, have, I, knew a, I have a theory. I mean, my theory is, is that universities need to put bums in seats. Mm-hmm. So therefore, the bar is being lowered. Of the actual learning ability and the capability of the student, so and the f-
1: commitments of the instructors and the teaching assistants and the time we're given to actually deal with them. Because I, I'm limited on the last paper I marked to 13 minutes per paper. Mm-hmm. I would have needed an hour per paper to accurately address every single thing these students did wrong, to give them like an appropriate learning experience so they could take this essay and go, okay, cool. Now I know exactly what I need to do for next time. But I've got 13 minutes. Yeah. And Fifteen minutes is enough for me to read it, make a couple of comments, and go like, "Watch your semicolon use. Um, don't make general statements. Please capitalize the names of cultures. For Christ's sakes." Um, or, yeah, yeah, a lot of that. And uh,
2: oh
0: god, we were at a practicum. I used to have to go to practicum for theater because I was a general technician. Then I got pushed more over to the music department side. But during one of the practicum um, classes somebody stood up and said, I've read all of your postmortems and there's a lot of grammar mistakes. <laughs> and I'm like, "That not that a grammar grammatical yes. error? Isn't that a grammatical error? I'm not like, you know, I only work at a university. I didn't go to one. But there seems to be like a, a level of coddling from the parents, their parents. And there's some sort of weird um, parents from the 70s are, are different than parents from the 80s. Yeah. And it's a big, big difference. There's a huge shift. Yeah. I mean I mean, you, you you fall into a millennial group, right? You're in the millennial. Yeah. But you don't really you have you you don't have the millennial isms. Is that is that you know
1: My parents, like if I got a D would have been like, What the hell is wrong with you? Yeah. Like why did you do that? Yeah. Um they never once would have stood up for me to a teacher unless of course the teacher was doing something seriously wrong. They would have been like, like yeah. go take care of it. Yeah. Um but I've had I've had Student parents call me yeah. and be like, My son, it's always it's always for their sons. Yeah. My son deserves a higher grade, you don't know what you're talking about. And I'm always like, First of all, how did you get my phone number? <laughs> Second of all, like, what are you doing contacting me for your child? Yeah. Um
0: Let them speak for themselves. Yeah. They're and adults really. Like,
1: it is always male students from a higher or upper middle class background. Yeah. Never female students, never international students.
0: I'll paraphrase um, what you're saying that we're bringing up a bunch of pussies.
2: <laughs> uh, the, but another
1: I've noticed, we're also like, U of T specifically will go to countries like China and they will waive language requirements. Yeah. And all these students will come over and they may have been the smartest in their class in China, but most of them don't speak English. Yeah. And U of T is providing absolutely no support for them. So you have like, in this class, I, I'm in a, a 500 students, there's probably a good like, 200 of them just don't that know. don't speak English as a first language and like They are working their butts off. They are doing everything a university student should be doing They're asking for extra help. They're going to like the writing centers There is nothing that we can give them that would make them the A students. They were in China and U of T doesn't care They're happy to just take because international student fees are about $21,000 a year at U of T mm-hmm. They're happy for $21,000 even if it's for one year and that student goes away. Yeah, it's well, supremely greedy.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, that happened at York, too, where our, the dean of fine arts went to India to try and recruit new students and try to actually open a campus, cool. a York University campus in India, but also started bringing students over. Same thing. Like, we need to put bums in seats. It's like we're not, we're not putting on a, a show where we have a deficit and we have a problem. There's two ledgers. There's a plus and a minus this is someone's life, you know, and, yeah. and, you know, I've spoken to people who my age who went to university and it was like, oh, we hung out and smoked pot all day. It was like, okay, well, you seem to be doing okay. I mean, you're adjusted. Everybody's, everybody's kind of adjusted, but there's always been this big pet peeve of mine is that there's this sort of entitlement of the student yeah. to say, you need to teach me. You need to do a better job teaching me. You know, I, some kid stood up and he said, uh, listen, I need you all to tell me regularly that I'm doing a good job. And I stood up and go, okay. maybe you're not doing a good job. Yeah. Maybe he was not telling you. Maybe you're just not doing a good job. Do you ever think of that? You know. And of course, he was appalled. You know, mm-hmm. it's so sensitive. You know, I, I, you know, listen. I understand that there's we're different. we society changes all the time, and we're not like sending eighteen year olds off to war. You know, to fight. You know, an evil monster. We're not right. really doing that. The people are trying to do it, but it's a different era. I mean, like we're, we're, we were hardy people. Now we're kind of turning into, you know, pussies.
1: But on the other hand, I mean, if you're going to be as a university, you want to put butts in seats, you should make sure you can take care of the butts yeah. and like make sure that they actually have the ability to succeed in the environment you're putting them in. Yeah. Um, kind of like when people complain about millennials all the time, like, Oh, you you need, um, what is that? The think viral video that went around of that, that guy who was just like, here's how you understand millennials. And it's, um, hmm. They want an easy job and technology and all of these things. I think what it comes down to is that millennials just want the ability to not work 14-hour days so we can pay our rent, rent that is astronomically higher, and not, don't don't want to have to like literally consider selling body parts in order to pay for tuition. Yeah. Like I'm in the eighth year of my PhD right now, and I went to a bank to be like, I need one more year of tuition, and I've got a student line of credit from my undergrad. Haven't touched it since my undergrad. Because mm-hmm. I've got my master's and my PhD paid for up until this year. And I asked them for one more year of funding. Like, not a lot of money. And their response was, well, do you think we should be taking care of you for the rest of your life? Maybe, maybe it's time for you to get a job. And I was like, cool, I've got seven. I've mm-hmm. got seven. Yeah. And I work from 8 a.m. until 10 p.m. every day. And this is why it's taking me eight years to finish a PhD. And I don't know a single graduate student who's not in the exact same position.
0: There's a lot of people with PhDs that are well into their 30s, Yeah, doctors, you know, people like, yeah. like brain surgeons and things like that. But these are the people that are going to save lives, you know, and they, we should be supporting that. And yeah. it's, it's uh, you know, there is. Uh, yeah, the thing is, it's about the bottom line about banking and stuff is like, well, we need to show some results here. I mean, if you had a student, I know people are like my age, they're still paying their OSAP. Yeah. <laughs> you know they still pay it back it's like it's insane like i have two children and we've just been always just, just trying to put money away and put money away just to help them with their college and their or university or anything yeah. even if they need a leg up you know and that's sort of there's that's you know, listen my wife's a great planner i'm a horrible planner but that's all her trying to make a difference in their lives and that's why mm-hmm. we're parents is you know that's why people have children is to make you know what I mean? To make life better—that should be the the ultimate goal, in my opinion. Yeah. You know, yeah, the, the yeah, that sucks. <laughs> I'm That's just right. thinking about having to go to the bank to explain. I'm still learning. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm I'm pretty smart. You know, I've been doing this for this long, and uh, yeah.
1: and please value my work. Yeah. And, uh, I'm going to go back to OSAP actually. Uh, after this, I'm going to go to the Student Financial Services and chat with them about whether or not a PhD student is eligible for OSAP.
0: You should get scratch cards, you know, like the things in, right. the, in the variety store where they scratch or they pull the things or go to the casino. There you yes. go. I also there.
1: used to work for, I used to work for nightclub. My very first storytelling show was about working in nightclubs and uh, how it was um, making me more money to work in a nightclub co check. And then I was getting paid as a teaching assistant. Yeah. And I'm going back there. I had like a couple of years ago sworn it off and been like, I'm done with this because mm-hmm. you know, you work three late nights in a, in a row and then you're done for the week. Um, but I'm going
2: back.
0: Yeah. So. Yeah. And, you know, when you say there is also the other side of it is that minimum wage is going up and, you know, but cost of living is, you know, way up. You know, yeah. I, I worked a job where he was like, we're going to give you 1.5% a year raise. I said, but the cost of living goes up 3%. So yeah. uh, tell me how I'm making so, money here.
1: <laughs> I had a job interview a few weeks ago at a, at a theater company in Toronto uh, for a very casual job, like a job that I would not expect to have to like commit a certain number of you know, days a week for the rest of my life. Yeah. Like I was expecting I would work three or four shifts a week at the end. And they asked me for a twenty five hour week commitment for approximately two years. And I was like, oh, so what's the salary? And they said ten dollars and forty five cents an hour. I said "Uh, have a nice day.
0: Yeah. No thank you. Yeah, no. I did an interview on the phone for uh forget I'm not going to tell you what but they were for a TD position and mm-hmm. it was uh, $180 a day. To tour.
2: Okay.
0: I'm like, that's right. that's nothing. That's yeah. n- that's that's a drop in the bucket for for your 14-hour day, you know, what you yeah, think yeah. I'm making 3 what? 5 bucks an hour.
1: I mean, for someone like me, I would say $180 a day, bring it. But yeah. like if I have no expenses, no dependents, nothing mm. and my housing and everything is covered that's cool but you can't expect someone who's got a family yeah. to be able to live on that
0: no absolutely that's it good. wasn't what they described too in the job it's right. like well you're going to be driving the cube van and uh, it'll just be you with the set and the dance floor and you put it all down and then you're mm-hmm. going to do the show and do the sound and then you can put it all back in the truck and drive to somewhere else in northern ontario i'm like I don't know. I did that when I was twenty. Yeah. <laughs> I don't yeah. want to do that. you know, thank you, yeah. But yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a there's a line, you know, where people draw or what they want to do. And I, I, you know, look for me, I've been recording bands and things like that. I'll record a band for free if I like them, you know what I mean? But I put a lot of years in to be able to say, Oh, I can do that. That's my yeah. move. That's my contribution. So yeah, yeah, to give back, you know. And you're still, you're still, you're getting yourself there to be able to give back. But you know, that I'm stuck on this bank thing. I'm sorry. That's that just sounds kind of cruel. It's, yeah, it was. Uh, it
1: was a little, uh, a little harsh. Yeah. A little harsh.
0: Yeah. So, so, um, so what's in the What's what's going on now? Like, you're done your PhD in. Working on it. You're done Hopefully
1: in. We'll be done this year.
0: Yeah. How do you know you're done? Like, is there a final, like a, a, a period you put on something? Oh, that's it. Or do you put
1: God, a- I so. <laughs> Um I think what, well, what I need to do uh, is finish edits. Um, then it has to be approved by my supervisors. And then there's a, a defense where I meet with my supervisors and we kind of go through the, the entire thesis and they determine is it good? Is it not? Have you learned something from this? What can you do with this in the future? And then they declare you a doctor. Uh, so it's, a long process to organize. Um, yeah. Don't know when it's going to be organized, but um, I was kind of hoping it would be done in December. Probably not. Yeah. And OSAP. Hopefully. OSAP.
0: Now nah, you yeah. should probably go back to the coat check place. Go do I'm that. I'm doing
2: that too, yeah. OSAP um, is a
0: racket. I mean, they'll take yeah. your house away in 20 years from now if you didn't. Yeah. Put, they will, well, and they I have. Believe,
2: um,
1: <laughs> I believe the new rule is that until you make over $25,000 a year, you don't have to start paying it back. So mm. I don't quite know what the. I mean, that's one of the things I'm going to be asking financial services about today. Um, but I believe that's their new rule, which mm. is fantastic for an indie theater artist because good luck getting $25,000 a year. Yeah. Uh, it'd be wonderful. I'm just not going to hold my breath.
0: Yeah. You know what? And, and you know, luck will determine like in five years from now, like, hey, universities are free. <laughs> like, oh, oh no.
1: Do they? They're free for families that make a combined income of uh, $50,000 a year or less. Yeah, those students are eligible for for grants that will cover the entire their entire cost of university, which is amazing.
0: That is amazing.
1: I can't be I can't be mad that those changes are being made after I went through. Mm. I'd be a little, you know, a little jealous, but I can't be mad.
0: Oh, of course. I mean, yeah, of course. And you know what? You've put you've done a lot of work in this. You know, and and for and theater is such a you know such a topsy turvy industry. Yeah. Anyways, like it's the first thing like to get dropped in the when the yeah. economy falls apart, or if the you know. So it's like. People would rather put gas in cars than go see a show or whatever, you know. Had, none of the people have a lot of disposable cash anymore, you yeah. know. So so to 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 do something and I think what it does, you know, what my optimist side says it's only gonna make theater better because the people that do good theater will be able to survive.
1: Yeah. You know, there's and, a, there's a lot you can a lot of inspiration to be gained from the struggle, even though it's a lot of work. But yeah. um, you can actually see on the fringe circuit that the, the people who have worked the hardest to be able to make the money to go, their shows are stronger. Yeah. Um, the people who throw it together at the last minute, you can you can kind of tell they never had to worry about money in their entire lives or yeah. maybe.
0: Yeah. And, you know, in honestly, just like music, honesty prevails in all of that. If you mm-hmm. honestly do something that is, a, a you know, that's artistically, um, um, it, it's artistically good or it's, it, people can consume it for yeah. whatever level you've put it on like any good movie or any good record, or any good band, yeah. it's like, then that's what translates into yeah. dollars. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's yeah. Well, that's good. I wish you all the luck, you know? It's so funny that we've met. We met last year in November. I remember, I remember yeah. that now. It was, that was a
1: fun show. It was, uh, have you ever seen um, Lunacy Cabaret? No. Okay, so it's uh, the North America's longest running vaudeville show uh, and monthly show. It runs out of a place called Center of Gravity at Greenwood and Girard in Toronto. Okay. And our last two shows in that building are going to be in November and December um, before the building is sold mm-hmm. and turns into something else. Uh, I don't know where the show is moving after that, but um, the show that we did in Richmond Hill was a very, very, very tame version of the Lunacy Cabaret. Oh. Like, no fire, no nakedness, no burlesque, yeah. nothing like that. So, yeah. very tame.
0: Well, if you want to move up to Richmond Hill, we...
1: Yeah, let we me just, know if you have
0: a. Yeah, we just lost a whole dance week in February. Oh, okay. Yeah, we'll let you know.
2: Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Nobody wants to do
0: dance competitions. Anybody in theater who's like, I like working dance comps, they're they're.
2: they're lying. Crazy
0: and lying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was good to talk to you. It was, talk- it was good to
2: talk to you
1: too. Thank you. Um, hope you have a great rest of your day.
0: Yeah, man, you too. I mean, this is my second podcast today too. So I'm. Uh, oh,
1: cool.
0: And now I get to go out for a walk in this beautiful day.
1: Yeah, it is really. Oh, I looked
0: outside and it's almost raining. All right. Well, it's Oh, uh, you know what? It looks okay here.
1: Well, enjoy the walk outside.
0: Yes. Yeah, nice to meet you.
1: Nice to meet you too. I'll talk to you later.
0: And that was Natalie Freya on the 158th episode. Coming up to 160, I guess, huh? What do you know about that? Hey. So everybody thanks for listening to the show thanks everybody thanks to my patrons thank you for going to patreon.com slash and helping the show out it's uh it's fun you know I just had a really good I just it's coming out next week but I had one with a guy named Zach Gearing from uh a band called Demons and uh it's a really interesting conversation. I want you to come back next week and listen to that one. Don't forget to tell friends and go on, uh, on iTunes, because that's a thing. It's an, uh, it's, a, it's an important part of this show, is letting people know that there's a show called The Applog Podcast. Yeah, so thanks for listening to the show, and we will see you again next week. Mm. Thanks to Bose for the beer. Uh, I just had one. That's why uh, I'm a little slow on the up, and I'm a bit gassy. So uh, we'll see you next week. Okay, bye.